Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or if you have things going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you or hopefully maybe give you some biblical advice about the things that are going on. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, the text line, 720-336-0897. And the call-in number, again, 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. I want to welcome everyone who is tuning in today. Uh, whether you're tuning in live here in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM, we're airing from uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way down to Pueblo, Colorado, all along the Front Range. And uh, if you're here in this listening area, you're here in the show live, and we'd love to hear from you. So glad that you tuned in today. But we also want to welcome those who are listening on our syndicated stations on the East Coast, on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to all of you there on Hope FM and Truth FM. Just a reminder that those of you uh, listening on Hope FM and Truth FM out there on the East Coast, the area around Tennessee, you're hearing this program on a one-week delay, uh, which means we would still love for you to call in, and absolutely uh, we want you to call in and uh, call in with your prayer requests and your questions. Um, but then you have the unique opportunity. You get to tune in a week later and you get to tell all your friends, and you get to tune in and hear yourself on the radio. Uh, so do take advantage of that. Uh, but just a reminder that you're hearing the show on a one-week delay. So sometimes uh, some of the things that, that, can, uh, that can come up, it's not really a problem, but just something to be aware of. So we want to give a big hello to everyone who listens also online. We know there's so many of you who listen live on our app and our website. So if you don't have that app yet, you absolutely should go and get it. So go to your app store on your uh, phone, whether it's Android or iPhone, or on your tablet. You can just go into your app store and you can type in the search bar, Grace FM, and it'll come right up. You just download that app, and then right away you can listen wherever you are, in anywhere in the world. You can listen online, uh, live, to all the shows, including this one that air on Grace FM. Uh, we also want to remind you that you can listen in your browser. So if you are uh, at a laptop or a computer somewhere, you can just go to Grace FM dot com in your browser and you can listen live there as well again this is a show where you can call in with questions about the bible or anything going on in your life if you have a prayer request we would love to hear from you give us a call or text us the number to call is 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897 so a few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a church in Longmont, Colorado. 
we meet in downtown Longmont, uh, right at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is just, if you know Longmont, we are right downtown, right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So Longs Peak and Kaufman, northwest corner, is where we're located, the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is a really central building here in uh, downtown Longmont. We're right on the edge or the corner of Roosevelt Park, which is kind of our city park here in Longmont, and we're just one block west of Main Street. So if you know where Main Street is in Longmont, we are just one block west on Longs Peak Avenue, very central location. We'd love for you to join us. Uh, we are a church that loves Jesus, and we love to study the Word. We love to worship. We love to uh, teach kids, and so we have a great teaching ministry at our church. We have a great children's ministry uh, that's just growing and vibrant, and we have a great worship ministry and a great worship minister here who serves us every week and uh, really one of the growing and vibrant parts of our church. So we feel that God's doing a great work at our church. We'd love for you to be a part of it. If you're in Longmont or in the surrounding area, any of the surrounding towns, or if uh, you maybe know somebody in this area, maybe you live far away, but you know somebody who lives up our way, we'd love it if you would come visit with us and worship with us or send others our way. Our website is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com, and our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So whitefieldschurch.com, Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. You can also go to that website and find out more about uh, just kind of who we are, what we're about, some of the things that are going on at our church these days, and you can listen to some of our past messages if you're so inclined. You can also hear our messages here on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. We have a show called Life in the Field, which is an allusion to the fact that we live our lives as Christians uh, on God's mission, on his mission field, which is the world. So Life in the Field every weekday, 2.30 p.m. on Grace FM. Or you can also tune in on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We're also airing at that time, so if for some reason you are not in church on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., you can tune in and listen to the study at that time. This past Sunday at Whitefields, um, we continue to study, which we began last week. So it's a pretty new study. It's a study in the epistle of James, and it's called um, Faith in Motion, because that's what James is all about. It's about practical Christian living, and for so many people that I've talked to, James is like their favorite book of the Bible because James is so direct and he has such a big focus on um, not just kind of theoretical things. He never talks over your head, right? He just speaks directly about things that are very practical. And so uh, this past Sunday, we had our second study in this series and it was called Doers of the Word. And so uh, we looked at what that means. What does it mean to be not just a hearer of the Word, but to be a doer? And we talked about the way to be blessed, because that's what he says, that you will be blessed if you are not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, right? That's what it means to be a disciple. Anybody can listen, but a disciple is somebody who responds and, uh, and, and uh, puts into practice the things that they have heard. Uh, conversely, James says that if we hear the word of God and we don't do it, we deceive ourselves. Interestingly, this is very similar to a lot of things. A lot of things in James really parallel a lot of things that Jesus taught, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. <coughs> For example, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount at the end, he said, if anyone hears my words and doesn't do them, he's like a man who builds his house on the sand. And then when the wind and the waves, right, the storms of life, which inevitably come, when they come, it will destroy that house. The, the whole thing will collapse. 
On the other hand, if a person hears my words, Jesus said, and does them, they're like a wise person who built their house on the rock. And when the wind and the waves came, as they inevitably will, that house stood firm because the foundation was good. And so we looked at that. This coming Sunday, we're going to be studying James chapter 2, in which James talks about uh, partiality, right? He talks about not showing partiality, which um, which is brought to my attention by my assistant pastor here, the uh, worship pastor at our church, that um, that's actually part of the Old Testament law. And, you know, James is really speaking to Jewish people in Jerusalem, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and he's referring back to the Old Testament law, which says that they were not allowed to show partiality just as God doesn't show partiality. So interesting study in James. We'd love to have you join us for it. One of the best books uh, in the New Testament to study in a group setting like this. We'd love to have you join us. Let's go to our first caller, Sharon in Pennsylvania. Hi, Sharon. Welcome to the Hello. Program. Hi, Pastor. How are you? I'm doing okay. What's up? Um, my, um, our family met uh, Korean people from a church. They were sent here as missionaries, and they go to, there's a movement in Korea called Mark's Upper Room. It's the Durapang Church, um, and the leader there is Pastor Wu, I believe his name is. R H U Y something like that. Anyway, um, we went to their church for a little bit of time, and you know there was a bit of a language barrier, but the pastor seemed okay to me, and he asked if he could take my son with them to Korea, and and I said, well, if we have, you know, my husband and I talked it over, and. We decided it would be okay if he would allow us you know, to speak with David and um, every day and do you know FaceTime every day. So we allowed David to go, and he was um, 19 at the time, but he's got Asperger's and things like that. So we wanted to protect him. So nonetheless, David went there, and um, David reads the Bible uh, every day, and he paces back and forth, and he's on probably his 13th time reading the whole Bible. And when he went to this church in Korea with the pastor, um, the pastor and he stayed together in the same apartment, and the pastor noticed, you know, David was pacing back and forth and reading the Bible and wasn't doing their agenda that they wanted him to do. And the pastor uh, came over David very close to him, and his face got really red, and he said, if you were my son, I would beat you this night. And then he goes, you know what, make it, I would beat you day and night, 24 hours, because you are not following the agenda, and you continue to read the Bible, and you're not listening to us. And then David didn't tell me this. He kept it a secret for a long time. A couple, some months, like maybe nine months, and then he finally told me that there was a big secret that he had, and I got it out of him with help from a friend. And when I found out, I was horrified, and I confronted the pastor and said, you know, you misrepresented Jesus to my son, and like Moses did, you know, striking the rock before they went into the promised land, and he was not allowed to go into the promised land, and God said, why did you do that? I'm not angry with my people. I said, you did the same thing with my son. You weren't gentle, and Jesus is not like that, sure. and Jesus is gentle. So my husband and I have been having this—now it's an argument—for the past, over the past year now, 
Jerry continues to be involved in this Dirac Bank Church, goes to Korea with them. And I said, you know what? It's a corrupt, at least the pastor's corrupt. I don't know if the rest of the church is corrupt, but my feeling is that they are because everybody tunes in and listens to this pastor Rue every, every, every day. They listen to his messages instead of, why isn't this man pointing to people to Jesus in the Bible? Why is he holding on to them and collecting their tithes? And, you know, there's fear, like the people have like this fear if they leave, you know? So I said, hey, that's a cult, obviously. And, the, and I confronted the pastor with somebody else from Calvary Chapel uh, over here in Pennsylvania. And he said, I agree with you. It is a cult. But my husband continues to go there, and it's a big fracture in our family about it. I see. So, yeah, Sharon, just a few thoughts, and then um, I'm kind of curious what what it is that um, you'd like me to help you with. But let me just give you a few thoughts. I think that one of the big issues with um, Korean churches, you know, so huge Korean missionary movements, I, I think this is something that we're, you know, I think people in the United States are only now just beginning to see but korea has been a um you know really kind of incredible story about the evangelization of korea and how it's gone in a very short amount of time from being a very not christian country to being a very christian country uh however you know there are some very big cultural differences between um korea and the united states and one of them is in this regard kind of similar to what you're talking about is that just the way that Korean society works, and then it kind of filters into the church. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, fighting off a cough. So um, one of the ways that Korean society works is very hierarchical. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, it's a it's a honor and shame culture in a sense, right? So they're very much concerned with honor and very much concerned with rule following and hierarchy and understanding who's the boss and uh, submission and things like that. And, you know, here's the thing. I, I had a, I read one person who put it this way. He's a Presbyterian, and there are a lot of Korean Presbyterians, right? And he said, you know, uh, so this person passed in the United States, but they're dealing with, with uh, a lot of, they're having a lot of Korean immigrants in their churches. And so they were saying that, you know, one of the things they notice uh, with Koreans is that uh, whereas, let's say, North Americans, right? Let's say people who are born and raised here in this culture. We tend to, when we read the Bible, we tend to focus on the part that talks about the um, priesthood of all believers, right? We love that, even though there are only really a couple verses which really uh, teach that um, explicitly, right? That all of us are called into the ministry. We're all called to be priests and um, and 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 the the like, right? And so, but we as North Americans, that resonates with something which is inherent to our culture, which is that we believe in um, equality of people. We believe in egalitarianism. And uh, on the other hand, you know, so he said that when uh, a lot of the Korean brothers and sisters in the church will read the Bible, the things that they will pull out of it are not so much the priesthood of all believers. Rather, they'll pull out the hierarchy, right? So that, that's what pops out to them. Why? Because it resonates with how their culture functions. And so we need to understand that all of us see things culturally and our culture that we're raised in and the way that uh, these things, they absolutely shape the way that we think, the way that we read the Bible and things like that. And one of the challenges we face is to get past our cultural uh, 
sunglasses, so to say, right? The cultural lens through which we see things so we can try to be as objective as possible. Now that to say, I, I think that the issue with this pastor is one of, of culture as far as the way that he uh, would approach your son. Now, I, of course, personally agree with you, especially if your son is on the autism spectrum, that uh, this man needs to understand that and he needs to treat your son with uh, more kindness and gentleness. That's my opinion. Uh, however, I think that even the fact of how it sounds like this church is run, right, sounds like high control, high power, that can border on being a cultic uh, mentality, right? Even if the doctrine is correct, churches can function in cultic ways. Uh, those some kind of telltale markers of cultic practices are when uh, churches will want to separate families rather than unifying the families, right? So they'll say adherence to the church above, for example, unity in your family, things like that. Um, or they'll try to, you know, even tell people to cut ties with their family. So anytime you see things like that, those are cultic practices and they're, they're dangerous really because, um, because of what they lead to. Now, as far as what you should do in your case, I mean, I assume that you've already talked to your husband about this. Um, I would personally love to see you and your husband unified in this uh, rather than having him be, be going to the church uh, and you not. Um, I think that, you know, somehow you need to have some kind of conversation, mediated conversation probably with your husband, uh, with somebody from the outside who can say, look, you guys are not unified in this. Is this church this important to him that, uh, that he's willing to have his family divided over it? I personally don't think it should be. Uh, I think that, you know, he needs to do what is right by his family, uh, not just follow the instructions of this church. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I don't well, think I'm going to persuade him to come back, though. He okay. he drives uh, an hour and a half to two hours all the way up to um, Park, some place called Parkside in well, past New York to go to church there every Sunday. And he's going to Korea two times with them. I think they fulfill a void in his life of, um, like, attention. And they, they keep telling him, they're, they're saying things to him, the pastor's saying to him, you're a very special person. God is going to use you. He's going to build you up. He's going to form a church around you, and so on. Yeah. Okay, well, um, man, that's... Uh... That's not good in, in the sense that I don't like seeing your family separated like this. I think that you guys should be unified. Um, you know, there's a sense in which I wonder, is it possible for you to um, get on board with what he's doing? It sounds like the answer to that is no. Am I correct? No. Okay. Yeah, because I have confronted the pastor, and I've told him the issue I have. Well, there are more than one issue. It, issues, but I did confront him about this particular one, how he spoke to David, and there are other things, too, that I, it, we don't have a length of time to go sure. into it, but they believe in in uh, ancestral... Uh, um, yeah, honoring uh, ancestors. What? It's a big, it's, you know, they would not call it ancestral worship uh, from their perspective, but from some people um, tend to see it that way. Um but it's honoring ancestors. It's part of Korean culture, um, you know, and it's it's historically been, as far as missiologists are concerned and people who do foreign missions, it's been an issue of like, okay, how, how much is this a cultural practice 
And how much is this actually a spiritual practice where you're crossing the line into something that's not really uh, acceptable for Christians to be doing? So Sharon, I need to uh, cut this short, but I will tell you this. I think that the best thing that could happen would be for you to involve somebody who could have some kind of media discussion with your husband and really walk you guys through something. And I think that this should be, your husband should see this red flag. The fact that his family is separated right now as regards church uh, should be a major red flag. It should be something that he wants to do something about. And if he doesn't have the impetus to do that, I would encourage you to try to set something up, some kind of mediation or counseling uh, with somebody that you can both trust who will walk you through some things and, and really help bring you back to a place of unity. Well, let me pray for you, and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray for Sharon and her family and her son. Uh, Lord, I pray for them that they would be unified again. And if this church is causing division in her family, uh, if it's leading to unhealthy things, Lord, I pray that uh, her husband would would definitely prioritize his family in this case. Lord, I pray that you'd help him help lead them to the right person to mediate in this situation. And Lord, we pray that your will would be done and your uh, desire for the ultimate outcome for this would be achieved. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sharon, for the call. And God bless you. Uh, let's go to our next call. We've got Ken in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. Uh, my question is, since you're very, very well-versed in translations of the Bible, uh, my question is, how do how do we know that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible? Because you would think it would have been written in Egyptian, and then somebody else would have translated it to Hebrew. Even though Zipporah was Hebrew, and his other wife was a Cushite, mm -hmm. which would be modern-day Ethiopia, I believe, uh, I just would think that Moses would have written it in Egyptian. Yeah, I mean, that, there's quite a quite a lot of assumption going into that, right? Like, um, we should ask the question, would Moses have written in, in Egyptian? I think the answer to that, I, I don't think it's a stretch to believe that he would not have written it in Egyptian for several reasons. One of those reasons being, who is his target audience? Who is he writing this for? If he's writing it for Hebrew people, um, you know, especially as he's he's writing it during their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and his target audience, let's say, is Hebrew people who speak Hebrew, well, then it would make absolute sense for him to write it in Hebrew, um, especially you consider his interactions with God seem to have been in the Hebrew language, and the reason for that is because uh, even the name Yahweh is really a, a play on words in Hebrew, right? It's the, the word for being, and it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a kind of play on words where God is saying, I am the eternal uh, being. I am the one who is, who was, who will always be. I am who I am. That's that's how we've translated into English to try to convey what that name Yahweh really means. It's a derivative of the you know fundamental verb is um, in Hebrew, and so so we see most interactions with God were in Hebrew. We see that his interactions with the people were in Hebrew, and his target audience would have been. Uh, Hebrew speakers and Hebrew readers. So I think it does make absolute sense that Moses would have written them in that language. Now, you're, you're quite right that Moses probably grew up speaking Egyptian, but we do know that around, what, age 40 uh, or so, 
that Moses became very interested in his Hebrew heritage, and uh, he started spending time around the Hebrew people. Now, after that, of course, he's exiled from uh, Egypt after he kills the uh, Pharaoh's officials who are mistreating the Hebrews, goes out into the wilderness. Like you said, he meets uh, this woman, Zipporah, and, uh, of course, her family, Jethro. And, um, and so I, I think it's not a stretch to assume that uh, he would have spoken Hebrew, written Hebrew, especially after all the time of leading the Hebrew people out into the wilderness and spending time with them. Uh, we know that they did maintain their own unique culture and, of course, their language. Uh, we know that be for several reasons. One of the reasons is um, because we know that they actually lived separate. You know, it says they lived in the land of Goshen. So if you look at maps and historical maps and stuff like that, what you see is that um, the Pharaoh had given the, the Hebrews kind of their own, they lived in their own kind of enclaves separate from where the Egyptian populace lived. And, um, and then, of course, you know, when the politics changed, the Egyptians went out there and started enslaving those people and bringing them into town. But anyway, that, that answers that. There, I, I was expecting when I saw your question that it would actually be, uh, you'd be wondering how Moses wrote about himself <laughs> after he had supposedly passed away, like at the end of Deuteronomy. Um, but, you know, and if that's your question, I think the answer to that is that probably Joshua wrote the end of Deuteronomy. Fantastic. Thank you, Pastor Nick. Yeah, absolutely. Have a, Ken. Have a nice evening. Thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two open lines right now. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Lori in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Hello. Um, I have a question about Jezebel. Um, okay. And King Ahab. Is Jezebel a picture of the Antichrist? I mean, what was her, that, like, what points to her anything? Yeah, so um, let me just pull up some things here on Jezebel. I think that there is some correlation with you know, the spirit of Jezebel being correlated in the book of Revelation with the spirit of the Antichrist. And uh, I'm just looking at that right now. Yeah, Jezebel spirit, story of Ahab and Jezebel. Yeah, so the story of Ahab and Jezebel, we got to remember that this is a true story. In fact, um, just before the show aired right now, I was preparing a message. I'm going to Israel on Wednesday, and one of the places I'll be teaching while I'm there. We're on a tour with two churches, our church here in Longmont and another church in Brighton. And uh, we're doing a tour, so I'm going to be teaching at Mount Carmel, which is where um, the whole story went down, right, where Elijah faces off with the prophets of Baal. And the whole story there, of course, you know that he defeats the prophets of Baal, but then Jezebel, who's King Ahab's wife, Ahab being an evil king who kind of encouraged people to worship Baal, the Canaanite uh, pagan deity and then Jezebel of course um, she had opposed all of the prophets kind of tried to shut down the work of the prophets of God and then she goes out and she decides that she's going to try and take down Elijah after he defeats the prophets of, of um, Baal and so um, as, as you're asking you know what is the spirit of Jezebel well there is a reference to this in Revelation chapter 2 
I'm going to pull that up right now. So it's Revelation chapter 2. Uh, he mentions it in the letter to the church in Thyatira, which is uh, there in Revelation 2. So I'm just going to go there right now in my Bible. And um, let me see what he says here about Jezebel. So he's speaking about, yeah, so here's what it says. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. Well, it looks like that music means that we need to go to break. So I'm going to finish answering this question on the other side of the break. Uh, hopefully you can stick with me, Lori. If not, I'll finish it um, without you. But uh, you're listening to Calvary Live. We've got two open lines. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. We'll be back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or if you have a prayer request about something going on in your life, we'd love to talk with you about that and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. So just before the break, we were talking with Lori in Baltimore. Lori, are you there with me? Yes, I'm Okay, thanks for sticking with me. Uh, that break there kind of snuck up on me. So um, uh, here's what your question was. You're asking, is Jezebel in the Bible, is that something to be understood figuratively or is it something to be understood uh, literally? Now, the answer is kind of yes and yes. But let me explain. The Old Testament story of Jezebel, like, for example, in First Kings chapter 18, that general area and a couple chapters before, a couple chapters after, is speaking of a literal person named Jezebel who was the wife of King Ahab, who was an evil king. And Jezebel in the Old Testament, uh, she encouraged idolatry in Israel and she persecuted. She, as the wife of the king, led persecution of the prophets who were opposing the idolatry. So that's, that's a literal person. Now, on the other hand, we have um, uh, in Revelation chapter 2 a reference to a woman named Jezebel who's mentioned uh, in the letter to the church to Thyatira. And it says this, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. And he says this, I gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Uh, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery, adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. Um, and he goes on. So the revelation reference to this woman Jezebel, um, I believe really is referring to a woman in the church who influenced the church in the same way that Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, influenced Israel into idolatry and sexual immorality back in the Old Testament times. And Jesus is declaring to the Thyatirans through John, the revelator, 
that uh, this woman who is in this church and calling herself a prophetess is not to be tolerated, but that God will um, that God will judge her. And so, like like Jezebel in the Old Testament, this woman apparently refused to repent of immorality and false teaching, and it says that her fate was sealed. So I hope that answers the question. I think in, in Revelation, it's speaking of an actual woman, but comparing her to Jezebel. In the Old Testament, it is speaking of an actual person named Jezebel. But just one thing. When she told her husband to take the land, that's why I thought it sounded like Antichrist. Yeah, and so there's a good question there as to Antichrist, right? So First and Second John speak of uh, the spirit of Antichrist. So there is a person who will be the Antichrist, and yet, uh, you know, John's letters speak of an, speak of multiple Antichrists and really a spirit of Antichrist. And so we have to differentiate between those two. Um, is, so I would absolutely agree with you that the spirit of Jezebel is the spirit of Antichrist, meaning the anti Christian spirit, meaning the spirit that is against Christ. Um, but I don't necessarily think that this woman is the Antichrist who's spoken of as the uh, leader in Revelation. Okay, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. God bless you. Thanks for calling in. God bless right. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to our next call. It's Desiree in Thornton, Colorado. Hi, Desiree. Welcome to the program. Okay. Um, sounds like Desiree may not be there, but she's asking for prayer uh, for some things in her life. So let's just pray for Desiree, and then we'll go look at our text messages. It looks like we have two lines open right now. So let's pray for Desiree first. Heavenly Father, we pray for Desiree. And... Um, Lord, whatever these things are that are going on in her life right now, um, Lord, we do pray for her. We pray that you would give her strength to endure. We remember that your word says, uh, blessed are they who endure through hardship. And so, Lord, we pray for Desiree that truly she would endure through these hard things that she's going through. Uh, Lord, we pray that you give her the strength to stand uh, when she doesn't have the strength on her own. Lord, thank you that you have within uh, yourself that you offer to us. Um, you have all the resources that we need in order to live the life that you've called us to live. So Lord, I pray for Desiree that she would uh, seek you in this time, that she would hold fast to you, Lord, and that you would give her the strength she needs to stand up under the things she's facing. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line, 720-336-0897. We have all open lines right now, so it's a good time to call in if you've been wanting to do so. But we're going to go over to our text line as we wait for those calls to come in because we've gotten uh, several great text messages over the course of the show. So we'll go to those. Uh, first text says this. Hi, I had a friend ask if it is biblical for a woman to be a pastor. I have been plugged into a couple churches where there were women associate pastors. Please give your thoughts. Yeah, so my thoughts are um, 
pretty simple on this, you know, and I'll give you a few reasons. One is this, that in the book of First Timothy, we have some descriptions of an overseer or an elder. And there the uh, descriptions of overseer and elder describe um, the husband of one wife. So it speaks in male terms and it speaks in uh, terms that can be exclusively male. And right before it gets into that section, um, Paul talks about how um, he says that he does not permit a woman to exercise authority over a man. And a lot of people believe, and, uh, and I would agree with this, that that verse is not just kind of an arbitrary verse, but that verse is actually tied to what comes after that. So what comes after that where he says, you know, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority, he's speaking about in the church. And then he goes on to talk about how authority in the church works, and he goes into talking about overseers. And uh, the word for overseer is the word um, presbyterios, or, you know, it's a word from which we get our word elder. And so the idea here is that he's saying, I do not permit a woman to be an elder in a church. And the idea behind an elder is not just one who manages things in the church, but the one who sets the course for doctrine for the church and the one who sets the course for um, authority and discipline and things like that. And so when it comes to these positions, Paul says that these are reserved for, um, not for women to have that role. So, you know, the word pastor is only used a couple times in the Bible. It's described as the function, right? So that is what a pastor does, is they pastor, which in Greek, the word pastor means shepherd. So this is what pastors are to do. They are to shepherd. But really, when we get to technical terms, we see that pastor is essentially a teaching elder in a church. So all elders are tasked with the role of shepherding. And some elders are maybe what we would call ruling elders, or they are what we would call teaching elders. So some people use different, different denominations, use different words for them. But generally, when we think of the word pastor, here's the category it falls into. A pastor is an elder. And so uh, it makes it clear here that whereas deacons are spoken of in um, both terms, right? So deacons uh, mean people who can serve and lead in a different uh, capacity in the church. That's spoken of as male and female. The other uh, case is that when it comes to elders, that's reserved for men. So to, that's a kind of a long answer to your question. But the answer is this. Um, my opinion, based on the Bible, is that I think the answer is no. I don't think it's biblical for a woman to be a pastor. Now, I don't think this means that women can never, for example, speak in the microphone at church uh, or never share something from the word at church. But as far as that role of uh, authoritative doc setting doctrine, um, you know, carrying out the church discipline, things like that, I think that that role is reserved biblically for men. And I, and I would say this, that this is a very unpopular view in our society today, especially in Western society right now. Uh, I will say this, I am an egalitarian in the sense that I do believe that men and women are absolutely 100% equal before God. In Christ, there is not male nor female, but this is when it comes to roles within the church and the order and structure of the church. This is one of those areas where I have to say, well, Am I going to choose to go with what's popular 
Am I going to choose to, to go with just what I would choose if it was up to me? Or am I going to say, okay, what does the Bible say? And I will submit my thinking and my practice to what the Bible says. And I think that as Christians, if we're going to be honest and faithful, we have to go with the latter. Uh, but thank you for your question. It's a sensitive issue, but one that I think that we should be ready to address. So thank you for that, and God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your uh, questions and prayer requests on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Lynn. On line one. Hi, Lynn. Oh, hi, Pastor Nick. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate talking to you and your and what you're doing. Um, I had a question because uh, just a few days ago I got on a ChristianBible.com. Um, I wanted to order a Bible for um, somebody real special that is recovering from addictions, and I did see like it was called the Recovery Bible. And it had all kinds of um, testimonies from people that um, I, it, it, it had some names that were familiar to me that that endorsed this Bible, and it was um, the uh, it was the living the living version. And so uh, I I wanted it was kind of a, in a simple hard copy and and a soft cover and a and I wanted something a, a little better for this person. I wanted their name printed on it. So I got on another site, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give the name like it was, you know, it was something popular that everybody uses all the time. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that over the radio. But I, I, I saw this recovery Bible, and it was leather bound, and I thought, oh great, I'll, I'll uh, order this one. Um, and it it was called that. I didn't notice till I got it. I got this leather Bible from this from this other site, and it ended up being um, from South Korea because I had heard that um, mm-hmm. that call earlier from that lady. And this one is from Living Streams Ministry, and it's by it's um, by a guy, Witness Lee. And so when I started reading it, you know, it, 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 it didn't have any kind of, this, this wasn't for people that had addictions. It was just called the, the Recovery Bible. And in the, throughout the whole, you know, I haven't read the whole thing, but I, I was just going to ask you a question about that because it, it doesn't seem like any Bible I've ever heard from the Living Stream Ministries, and I didn't yeah. know if you knew anything about that. And they, yeah. they, okay. I am familiar with it. Um, so Witness Lee and uh, Watchman Nee. So they're kind of like, you know, over the last hundred years, let's say Watchman Nee was the older one. I mean, he was, he, um, he died in the late 90s. Oh, it looks like Witness Lee also died. So they were Chinese Christians. Um, and it sounds, yeah, I think their ministry is actually based in California, Living Stream Ministry. Um, you know, when I was a missionary in Hungary, we got a lot of materials from, uh, living Stream Ministry, I mean, they just were so uh, prolific in getting their materials out to people. Um, and, you know, we dealt with it at that time. You know, is this a good thing? You know, what what can we find out about this? But generally, you know, we fe- we didn't see anything in it that was um, 
bad or dangerous or alarming that we knew of. Now, you know, we I'm probably not an expert on uh, Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, but the things that I heard and uh, the things that I read from them were generally not things that I saw anything to be concerned about. Uh, as, as far as the Recovery Bible, uh, I, I don't know enough about it, but I, I do know enough about it in the sense that I've seen them around. I've seen these Bibles that you're describing. I don't think that they're anything dangerous. I don't think that they're out to change the Word of God. Um, I don't think this is a cultic thing, at least, at least not as far as I know. But um, I will tell you this. If you're looking for a good Bible, I think there are plenty of other places to find them. Um, you know, a, a great one, we use uh, Crossways ESV Bible here at our church. We just find them to be just uh, really trustworthy um, and, you know, just a very solid translation uh, that seems to be free from a lot of, um, a lot of outside influences. You know, because sometimes people... The groups can get political or you can get, you know, different publishers involved and all that stuff. But I, I tend to find New King James Version, ESV, you can't go wrong with those. And uh, I, I tend to recommend the ESV just because I think it's more readable. And I like the source documents that it's uh, translated from. So, you know, even if you buy it off of uh, online retailers, um, that would be my go-to. Would be say, well, I don't know enough about these uh, translations that you're speaking of to say that you should you know, not use them. But I will say, here, here are some good resources you can use. Uh, check out the New King James Version or check out the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, and I don't think you can go wrong with those. Since I'm for um, somebody that's an, a new believer, and they kept mentioning God as Jehovah, and I... Um, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, you know, I, I just, I, I will take your advice, and I really appreciate that so much. Sure, and just okay. one last thought on the idea of Jehovah. I mean, really, Jehovah is a English, anglicized mispronunciation of the Tetragrammaton, which is, right, the, f the four vowels, I'm sorry, the four consonants uh, of the name, which most Hebrew scholars today would all agree it should be pronounced Yahweh. Okay, so, I mean, yes, that's what I, right, that's yeah. what I had always, reiterate, the, right. The reason it's pronounced like, Yahweh is, is important because it derives from the Hebrew word for to be, right, the, es okay. the essence of being. And, uh, and so that's important because it gets to the essence of why God says, my name is, I am who I am, right? It's, okay. it's a reference to how that's to be pronounced. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, um, God is who he is. Uh, and, you know, right. I, I think I, that that's I really the key. The Bible too. And so I, I love that. I'm going to take your advice, Pastor Nick. Thank you so much. Yeah. You bet. God okay, thank you. Man. All right, bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. Let's go to Brandon uh, on line three. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. Uh, I just had a question um, that I've always kind of been confused on. Um, as a believer, are you ever judged, um, whether it's when you die um, and you instantly are in front of God or the great white throne judgment? Um, the biggest reason why I ask is because like, uh, I was listening to Calvary Live today, or uh, um, Grace FM today, and like, it, it said, like, uh, teachers, like, say specifically somebody like you, will be judged tougher than, say, someone like me who's not a teacher. So 
So I was kind of under the impression, you know, if you're saved, um, that your sins won't be held against you. But are we still judged somehow? I've just I've been confused on that. Yeah, maybe I can help you with that. So here's the deal. Um, you're you're right in the sense that Jesus. The message of the gospel is that Jesus takes all of the judgment that we deserve. He took it upon himself once and for all upon the cross of Calvary. And so when we stand before God, we will stand before God justified. Even now, if we are believers in Jesus, our position before God, our status is that we are justified. We are made right, right? It's like our paper's been stamped and we have been justified before God. And, um, and what that means is that a judgment for our sins, meaning eternal judgment, right, eternal death, does not await us uh, because Jesus has taken the penalty for our sins once and for all. That's the message of the gospel. Now, on the other hand, are there other forms of judgment that we can experience? Uh, I think the answer to that is yes. You know, you see what we might call, as opposed to eternal judgment, right? You see examples in the Bible of temporal judgments. For example, you have Ananias and Sapphira, and God literally strikes them dead for a lie that they lied against the Holy Spirit. Now, will Ananias and Sapphira be in heaven? Well, that's certainly above my pay grade to answer that question. But I'm not going to be surprised if I see them there, because I think that the fact that God said, okay, look, I'm going to judge you for this sin now as a temporal judgment— Right. Um, we see this with the children of Israel in the Old Testament, that God allows a judgment to come into their lives. And in this case, the judgment, um, which maybe we could equate with what Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament, where it talks about the discipline of God. Um, but the judgment that comes into their lives is that God allows a foreign nation to come in and conquer them. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, physical and temporal difficulty and suffering that they face as a result of that. And yet, at the same time, God does not forsake them nor reject them. Here's another example. Moses, it, you know, we had a caller mention this earlier. Moses strikes the rock in the wilderness when he should have spoken to the rock. And as a result, he is not allowed to enter into the promised land. And yet, w will we see Moses in heaven? Well, I certainly believe that we will. You know, I think he was a man of faith. Hebrews 11 talks about that. So did Moses lose his eternal salvation? Is God going to judge him for his sins for eternity? Uh, will he go to hell for that action? I don't believe so. I believe that will be covered by what Jesus did and you know, Moses trusting in God and having faith and being declared righteous. That being said, he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. So that would be a form of temporal judgment. So um, I hope that makes sense. Um, there's another way in which uh, he, or for, sorry, First Corinthians chapter three gives us some insight into how our actions will be dealt with. So like Second Corinthians six, like you mentioned, the bema seat, which is the award seat, right? It speaks of um, like in the Olympics, how there are judges in the Olympics, and the judges judge not uh, for condemnation; those judges judge for reward that we too will be judged unto rewards by God uh, for our actions done for him on earth, right? And so First uh, Corinthians 3 talks about how our actions will be weighed and they will be tested by fire and that which is wood, hay, and stubble will be consumed by the fire. 
but that which is you know gold and silver and precious stones will remain and will be purified and that all that will be left in the end is the the good that we did everything else will be burned up and forgotten so that speaks of um, how our actions will be judged by God but not judged to our condemnation but judged for our um, for our reward so when it comes to verses like you know we're going to be judged for every idle word that we speak well okay if you're not a Christian then I, I believe that will just be more upon the pile of you know things that you will face judgment for if you are a Christian those the judgment for those sins eternally has been taken by Jesus can you still uh, experience let's say temporal judgment in the sense of uh, consequences that God lets you experience or um, you know discipline of God here in this life for those things I think the answer to that is yes and I think the point of that verse is to say that uh, God will hold us very responsible and that there's a very uh, he takes these things very seriously if a person's going to teach in a church or teach people in God's name uh, they should take that as a very solemn and serious thing. Does that answer your question, Brandon? Yeah, yeah, it did. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been a long time. I've been wondering about that. So thank you. Oh, good. I'm glad I could help. God bless you. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, we have five minutes left in the show. Probably time for one more caller and maybe a text message. So let's go to Pam on line one. Hi, Pam. Welcome to the program. Hi. Um, I need prayer really bad. I'm I'm extremely sick. I've been sick for a really long time, um, and I just keep getting worse. Um, and then and then my husband left me. Um, hmm. Everything is really bad. I'm so scared. I'm so sick, and I just keep getting sicker, and I don't know what to do. I can barely function, and it's been years. It's just getting worse and worse, and I can barely eat, and I don't know what to say. I just need prayer so bad. Yeah. Well, let's pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I, together, along with those listening, we, we pray for Pam right now. Lord, we ask uh, for your healing touch on her. Lord, we ask that you would heal her in Jesus' name from uh, this illness or sickness that she has that's causing her so much pain it's causing her to not even be able to function uh fully and in, in life lord it's hurting uh, every area of her life lord I, clearly she is um very upset about this lord i pray that you would be with her even now and that you would comfort her lord i pray that you would draw people around her to show her your love in very practical ways that she would understand that you care about her that you know about her situation and that you are with her Lord, I pray for her that you would relieve her suffering. Lord, I pray for her heart as her husband has left. Lord, I pray uh, that you would restore this marriage, that you would do a miracle. But Lord, I pray that no matter what happens, Lord, that she would find contentment and joy and peace in you that supersedes anything else in this life. Lord, I pray that truly she would know what it means to be blessed. Lord, that the word blessed, it means to be fully satisfied in God and to have a favorable relationship with God. And I pray that that would be characteristic of her life. But Lord, I just ask for healing, for relief, and for comfort for Pam right now. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, Pam, I'm, uh, I'm really sorry that you're going through this. 
And uh, I'm going to keep praying for you even after this show. Thank you so much. Okay, God bless you. Bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. We've come up at the end of our show. Um, we have, let's see if we have a text question that we can answer here by the end of the show. Yeah, I've got a good one here. Uh, Peter 3, verses 19 through 20 says this. It says that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison, uh, some of which were disobedient under the when the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. This person asks, uh, who is this being talked about? Uh, is, is it talking about spirits, demons? Who are these spirits? Uh, the answer to that is uh, something we've, we've talked about. It's kind of been a recurring theme, I've noticed. People have a lot of questions. Did Jesus descend into hell after he died on the cross? The answer is, well, Jesus descended into Sheol, the dwelling place of the dead, and from there he released those who were in Abraham's bosom so that they could be free to go to the immediate presence of God. But for those, it seems what Peter's describing uh, in First Peter 3 there is he's describing how Jesus uh, went into Sheol and not only released the captives who had died in faith, but he preached a message to those who were in Hades or hell. And it wasn't a message of liberation. It was a message of condemnation. It was a message confirming the fact that they had rebelled and there was no way out. So that should be a stark warning for us about the seriousness of eternity and the need to receive God's grace for those of us who still have breath in our lungs. You've been listening to Calvary Live. I'm Pastor Nick Cady. I'll be with you again soon. God bless you and have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.